0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, August 19th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. And in the mailbag, we'll be responding to some letters about Neil Blomkamp and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata. Joining me to this podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? So people out there may have noticed that we did not have an episode on Friday. Uh, News was just slow, and uh, we're going to have some extra episodes this week probably because of D23 Expo, which starts this Friday in Anaheim, and I'm going to be there. So uh, if you are going to D23 Expo and you see me on the show floor or running around, please say hi and uh, look forward to that coverage then. But let's dive into the news. Uh, there's some stories that hit over the weekend. Uh, y- your title as weekend editor, Brad, was uh, it, you actually got some mileage out of the mileage out of it this weekend uh, because there was new- news of a Masters of the Universe sequel that's coming from Kevin Smith. Tell us about it, Brad.
2: Yes, uh, on Sunday evening, there was an announcement of a new animated series uh, called Masters of the Universe Revelation, which will act as a sequel series to the original He-Man and the Masters of the Universe series that uh, ended back in 1985. Uh, Unlike the original series, this will be an anime-style series. Uh, Kevin Smith has specifically said it will have some of the most uh, um, metal-style versions of these characters ...that we've seen uh, from Powerhouse Animation. It's the same animation house that worked on Netflix's Castlevania series. And the official synopsis from Netflix reads this. Featuring fan favorites He-Man, Orko, Cringer, and Man-at-Arms... ...the story pits our heroic warriors and guardians of Castle Grayskull against Skeletor... Um, evil in beast and the vile legions of snake mountain but after a ferocious final battle forever fractures Eternia, it's up to Tila to solve the mystery of the missing sword of power in a race against time to prevent the end of the universe her journey will uncover the secrets of Grey Skull. at last this is the epic he-man and the masters of the universe saga fans have waited 35 years to see uh, so, yeah, that's the basic setup for this new Masters of the U- Universe series. And uh, I don't know if it's just me, but this kind of sounds like the Force Awakens version of Masters of the <laughs> Universe. Uh, I don't know how prominent He Man's going to be, but this kind of makes it seem like he's not maybe the main character in this series and that he might be gone for a little bit, a la Luke Skywalker, and uh, maybe Tila has to find her after finding
1: uh, where the, uh, the, the Sword of Power is. Yeah. Uh are, are were you a big fan of Masters of the Universe as a kid?
2: Honestly, I was uh much more in tune with the live action Masters of the Universe movie <laughs> than I was the animated series for whatever reason. The animated series was never really uh in my, you know, preferred viewing of cartoons when I was a kid. Um but I but I did really like the live action Masters of the Universe series, even though it's almost nothing like uh, the actual animated series as as I have found out you know in years since then so I don't necessarily have a special reverence for it I, I still had uh, some He-Man action figures uh, mostly j- uh, just pri- uh, the main He-Man action figure and Skeletor um, but yeah that's so I, I, I don't have too much of a, uh, a familiarity with the original animated series. Ben what about you?
0: Uh, I completely missed the He-Man animated series train when I was younger. I did see that Dolph Lundgren live-action movie, I think because people were like, you have to see Frank Langella as Skeletor, and I was like, that does sound like something I need to see. And that movie, I mean, (laughs) I don't know, Brad, when you saw it, but uh, if you saw it as a child, then I can totally get how... You know, you could be sucked up in it. But um, I caught it very late, like, I don't know, age 30 or something, and was like, what the hell is this? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally – all of this He-Man stuff is over
1: my head. Over your head. Skeletor from that live-action movie used to haunt my dreams as a kid. Like, it was so scary. Um, I did watch Masters Universe, although I couldn't really, really tell you much about it. I had some of the uh, action figures. Uh, Brad, was this one of the shows that – They created action figures, and then they basically created the show to sell the action figures. I believe that's the case, right?
2: Yeah. From what I remember, I think that that's exactly what happened, that they had had these action figures, and they're like, well, now we have to have a show so that people want to buy them.
1: (laughs) That's so ridiculous. I feel like that would never happen today, or maybe it would. I don't know. Um, but, uh, people love masters of the universe. Like people have been craving for a He-Man movie and that's been in the works for like a decade now and has not been happening. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, am sure people are going to be excited for this. I, Netflix is going all in on these like anime, uh, style, uh, IP properties. Like you mentioned they did, uh, wait, they, they did Godzilla. The company that did this did the Castlevania, right?
2: Yeah, Powerhouse Animation is the one who did Castlevania.
1: Yeah, so so those must be really popular on the Netflix streaming platform. Oh,
2: program. and I I actually just realized, I don't think I mentioned this, uh, but Kevin Smith is the one who is working on this series uh, as an executive producer, showrunner, and writer for the show.
1: Kevin Smith last year was going around saying that he just got attached to something that was like the biggest thing in his career, biggest property in his career. Is it this?
2: You know, I, I'm honestly not sure—it it could be, because his, his exact quote was that he said uh, it would—hold on, let me find it here. Uh, it is the biggest budgeted anything I've ever done and the most massive IP I've ever been allowed to play with. And, like, it's tough to say whether or not he was talking about within the realm of, like, film and television, because he, uh, he has worked on things like Batman and Daredevil— Uh, as like as a comic book writer but never in like the tv or film direction phase but he has also directed episodes of supergirl and uh the flash and i'm not sure that i would say that masters of the universe is a bigger ip than any of those things it's very popular for sure um and i I don't know unless the budget on this animated series is really big i I don't know it it seems like it could be but i don't necessarily feel 100 percent certain about
1: that I mean, animation does not come cheap, Brad, so. Right. Yeah, and uh, do we know how many episodes this is? How many episodes does, like, a typical Netflix animated series run?
2: I'm actually not too sure as far as the more dramatic animated uh, shows go. I know the the comedic ones are usually around 10 or 12 episodes, uh, but it doesn't look like we have any indication as to how many episodes this, uh, this, this this will be. But it is a limited series, so it won't be a long
1: one. Okay, speaking of fan anticipation, uh fans out there have been anticipating the Snyder cut of Justice League, uh almost I mean not almost, to an obnoxious degree. We're 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 sick and tired of hearing about this, honestly. Uh but it, it seems like it actually has it, it actually exists and Jason Momoa has seen it. Ben, what do we know?
0: Yeah, so in a recent Instagram post, Jason Momoa in his comments he basically says Yes, I have seen the Snyder cut. He he thanked Zack Snyder for showing it to him and he also said the Snyder cut is sick. So that was his one word review <laughs> of this movie. He he added a hashtag to his Instagram post that said lucky for me sucks for you. So I guess mm. I mean I I don't know how involved Jason Momoa might be in any potential conversations about possible distribution for this thing. It seems like he would, you know, that would be way outside of the realm of whatever, you know, his involvement might be in this. Um, But this basically just again, confirms that that a cut does exist, even though I think Kevin Smith, you were just talking about Kevin Smith, but uh, I think it was just a couple weeks ago he talked about how there is a cut. It's not a mythical thing. um, It does not exist in a finished form. You know, this is basically what we've been saying since the very beginning. I, I just looked back through the Slash Film archives and I remember writing an article saying that the Snyder cut doesn't exist. And I was talking about a finished version with, you know, VFX and all of that stuff. And I think that's still true. Like that version of this movie does not exist because Warner brothers would have to spend more money to actually get it to that place. But apparently there is a version that's floating around out there um, that, that Zack Snyder is just showing people apparently his friends and, and uh, co-workers. Um, So yeah, we, we assume that has like heavy animatics and a lot of uh, sort of space where you have to fill in the gaps for yourself. But um, there is one more person on planet Earth who has now seen the Snyder Cut of Justice League.
2: So, so also, I, I have to say, Ben, I don't think that you did Jason Momoa's one-word review, Justice, because if you look <laughs> at his Instagram, he actually says he saw it, and it's sick. Yeah, that that you're right. You're absolutely right, and I'm so glad I didn't,
0: because now that meant that we got to hear it from you, and that was way better than I could have done.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh I guess the big question now is are are other people gonna be able to see the Snyder cut outside outside of you know this the snyder uh inner circle like do you think Warner Brothers will ever release this like i when we first started talking about this, I said no, I feel like I, I said at the time that there's no incentive for Warner Brothers to release this thing because if it's good, it makes you know the studio brass look bad for you know. Mm-hmm basically what what happened um and if it's bad it just you know is another failure on the the you know utility belt of dc at warner brothers but uh you know since that time you know the the brass in in warner brothers has changed and the new brass uh maybe doesn't care if uh you know something that doesn't put the old brass in a Golden colored light is out there, right. dude. I mean, like, uh, and yeah,
0: and I, I guess there's also the the thing about like, um, you know, you're talking about like the executives maybe looking bad, but this the situation uh, surrounding Justice League was pretty fraught. Like, Zack Snyder's daughter took her own life, and he had to leave the movie because of that, and then Joss Whedon came in and and sort of finished it off. So it's not necessarily as cut and dried as like yeah. a studio executive made the call to. Uh, You know, made a call that could have resulted in this quote unquote Snyder cut, but then the studio executive decided to make it a Joss Whedon. You know, it's a little bit more complicated than that. So maybe there is a chance that people will see this and no heads will roll at the corporate level. And and that's obviously something that would be a concern for them. So I don't know. Um, I, Brad, I what espe- do you think?
1: Especially with HBO, Go or HBO Max. Yeah, HBO Max coming out. Like, I feel like if you wanted to get the Snyder bros to subscribe to that new streaming service, like, maybe put the Snyder Cut on there.
0: I was wondering about that, and I speculated about that in the article. And then after I published it, I was wondering if it actually might make more sense for them not to put it on a streaming service and target people – Target those fans specifically and basically like force them to pay uh, a separate cost (laughs) just for that thing, because really, like they're the only people that care about this in a serious way. Right. Like they're the only ones who have been banging the drum on this thing for two years. So if you're Warner Brothers, why not try to milk as much as possible out of it instead of essentially like including it for, quote unquote, free Within the the archives of a streaming service, you
2: know. Yeah, the only way to get this to watch the Snyder Cut is you have to sign up for a year of HBO Max.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, you know, think I would not be surprised if something like that happened.
1: Brad, do you think we'll ever get the Snyder Cut?
2: Uh, you know, I I don't think so. Like, it just it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I mean,
1: they why not? Have this... We got we got the Richard Donner cut of Superman two, and like he was, you know, not even yeah, but
2: like. Yeah, but th- that movie didn't re- require like millions of dollars to complete special effects for a movie that has you know, plenty of shots that are composed entirely of computer effects. Uh, I just feel like it's not worth it for Warner Brothers to spend that kind of money to, to finish this movie. And uh, much like w- the vocal voices for uh, those who are upset about Star Wars The Last Jedi are the ones that you hear the most because they're the loudest, I feel like this contingent of people who want to see the Snyder Cut is not nearly as big... As it seems like it's just, yeah. it just seems that they're just always talking about it.
1: <laughs> I mean, I agree with you there, and I'm not sure it's worth finishing this movie. I, I'm gonna get estimate there's probably twenty, like fifteen to twenty percent of this movie that's not you know of the Snyder cut that's not done. But that said, animatics nowadays look pretty good. They're almost like an animated film in itself, and i I feel like maybe they could just release it with the animat animatics. What no. do you
0: think, Peter? Do you think that? Do you think that's actually likely?
1: I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if it's likely they'll release it with the animatics. But I, I feel like by the end of our lifetimes, we will have seen the Snyder Cut officially released in some way. There's money to be made. Whenever there's money to be made, it's not gonna. They're not gonna just like let it sit there. But uh, it's just a matter of. When and how soon, um, uh, okay, let's move on from DC to Marvel. Uh, let's talk about Venom 2. They have hired a cinematographer, Ben. What do we know?
0: Yeah, Robert Richardson, the cinematographer of several of Quentin Tarantino's movies, has been hired to shoot Venom 2. So, uh, I mean, that's kind of uh, an amazing get for them. Uh, Andy circus has officially been brought on to direct, we talked about that a little while ago and now Robert Richardson is shooting this thing and just for people who may not know just a, a small list of his uh, incredible career includes movies like Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, The Aviator and Glorious Bastards, Shutter Island, Hugo, The Hateful 8, Django Unchained, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Casino, JFK. I mean this guy has shot some like full-blown classics and the idea that they that Sony would hire him For Venom 2, of all things, Uh, I guess maybe indicates that they're trying
1: to make this movie really
0: good. Why
1: do you think this guy would be interested in Venom 2 other than the paycheck?
0: Yeah, that's the interesting thing that I was sort of wondering about. I wonder if there's going if Andy Serkis, especially considering how performance capture heavy he is. uh, And and he has a whole company that that uh, consults on a, a lot of big budget movies where he, you know, because he's like one of the pioneers in that field, he's so uh, keyed into the requirements and and necessities of that specific, you know, specific subset of movie making. I'm wondering if he has some big plans in that area for Venom Two, And if Richardson has not really encountered that yet in his career, and if he's looking at this as an opportunity to sort of, um, you know, just like push his own boundaries a little bit and and do some new things and step into a new uh, a new arena. Like Caleb Deschanel, who is a, a cinematographer who shot a ton of really really great like classical movies going back you know forty fifty years or whatever. Uh, he was the guy who collaborated with John Favreau on uh, the Lion King and shot that movie you know entirely digitally and and with the VR stuff and all that. We talked about that when that movie was coming out. So I think maybe the same kind of vibe could be coming off here like Richardson just wants to push himself a little bit
1: hmm possibly uh I'm, I'm interested to see what turns up of uh, venom 2. Uh, let's move on to our last story for today let's talk uh, you mentioned before Brad that uh maybe Maybe Warner Brothers is trying to sell HBO Go or HBO Max. I keep on calling it HBO Go. This is – I hate this name. Maybe Warner Brothers is trying to sell this HBO Max and they're trying to get people to a one-year commitment to, to, you know, see the Snyder Cut. I think you were joking about the story that's coming up here. And this is Disney in Disney's own streaming service, Disney Plus, which, by the way, at Disney – at D23 Expo this weekend is going to be selling an early – package of disney plus to people at the convention but you have to commit to three years of the service which is kind of insane uh but uh i guess disney is gonna unlike netflix and unlike hbo where people are you know sharing their passwords and stuff like that disney is aiming to crack down on password sharing what do we know brad
2: yes so uh in a recent press release announcing a uh distribution programming uh, deal between Charter Communications, which is the media company behind Spectrum uh, Cable Subscriptions, Uh, Disney and Charter announced that they're partnering up uh, for this programming deal, but then casually mentioned that they were also working together on piracy mitigation, uh, including specifically uh, addressing issues such as unauthorized access and password sharing. So it sounds like Disney is pretty keen on figuring out how to stop people from sharing passwords and allowing multiple people to access the same account for access to streaming programs, which is something that people have been doing since Netflix started their Instant Watch. Uh, People do it with with Hulu all the time, uh, Amazon Prime, you name it. If there's a streaming service, people are sharing passwords for it. Uh, And it sounds like these two want to stop that. It's unclear if, if this is something that they're working on to stop password sharing specifically for uh, this deal between them. So um, because uh, Ars Technica, which is a tech blog, um, theorizes that the way that they might try to do this is tracking users' IP addresses and cross-checking them uh, between the cable company and their Disney Plus uh, sub- subscription so that they can see if it's the same person using the um, each of the subscriptions when they log in. So it's not clear if this is something that will be an overarching uh, initiative to stop. But since it is kind of a problem for a lot of streaming services, because they're mis- essentially missing out on plenty of subscription dollars by allowing uh, people to share, and I put a, I'll put allowing in quotes since they're not actively <laughs> saying, yeah, it's okay to do this. But, you know, so it's, I feel like this is something that maybe a lot of streaming services will start to crack down on, especially as the you know, streaming wars start to heat up and we keep getting more and more streaming subscriptions announced every other week.
1: I was reading the other day an article about how a majority of millennials are still on their parents, uh, who are adults, are still on their parents' cell phone plans. And I feel like the same case is with, like, HBO subscriptions and Netflix subscriptions. Like, I hear that a lot of people, like, sharing, the, you know, that that account. I, I just don't know how how do you police this because, like, you know, I guess if I have charter communications, like, if I'm traveling to Hawaii and I try to access Disney Plus from there, are they going to penalize me because I'm not at home and I'm on a business trip?
2: No, that's a good question, and that's probably a question for somebody who knows a lot (laughs) more about how the internet works than I do. Uh, But, yeah, that does seem like it would would be an issue, especially especially when you have – you know, it's, it's so common now to have multiple profiles on certain accounts too. And, you know, somebody who may very well, you know, share a household with somebody may just be using Hulu on, you know, the, the go and they're using their own profile somewhere while somebody else is watching it at home. And, you know, it's, so it's another similar problem.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to solve this problem. And I feel like Disney, if they really want to take advantage of the streaming game, doesn't, Shouldn't be pissing off people this early. <laughs> uh, but uh, th- they've also announced their list of compatible devices for the launch of Disney+. Plus. What do we know there?
2: Uh, indeed, yeah. So there's a-, a big announcement today came from Disney+, Plus as far as the first international territories that will receive the service alongside the United States debut. Uh, and funnily enough, uh, one of the major devices that is not included in this list as of now are all of Amazon's fire devices. So if you have a fire stick or a fire cube or a fire tablet uh, or a bonfire, whatever Amazon has now, uh, you won't be able to access Disney plus on it as it is now. Um, Right now it's Apple TV, Android mobile devices, Android TV, Chromecast, any desktop web browser, iPad, iPhone, PlayStation 4, Roku, Roku TV, and Xbox one. Are the devices that will be able to use Disney Plus? Now, that doesn't mean that won't change in the coming months because Disney Plus doesn't debut until November 12th. So there's always a chance that they're still figuring out a deal with Amazon and how that's going to work, and just maybe just working on the the software for it and that kind of thing. So uh, if you have an Amazon device and you want Disney Plus, don't worry just yet. Uh, wait and see how the next couple months play out, and this is something that may not be cause for concern.
1: I wonder if this is an anti-competitive move because I know Amazon has done that in the past. Like they had some issues with uh, – who was it? Like Google with the Nest devices and also Apple. Like they weren't selling Apple devices on Amazon because there was this big feud between Apple and Amazon. Like There I'm- was
2: even a – there was a feud between uh, Disney and Amazon at one point too regarding home video stuff. There was a – and actually even, even still, uh, Amazon doesn't have pre-orders available for – disney blu-rays and dvds um and at one time it was hard to like even search them to find them in amazon's uh on amazon's website so i don't know if there's maybe some carryover and some bad blood there but we'll we'll see how it goes
1: that's crazy okay let's move into the mailbag uh first we have a letter from Hi sam from egypt Uh, He writes in about our August 15th episode uh, where we were discussing the Robocop news, and we brought up Neil Blomkamp, and Chris basically dismissed him as a bad filmmaker. Uh, Sim says, while I agree Blomkamp's filmography is bad, I don't think the guy keeps falling upwards or the implication that he's a hack. I find Blomkamp to be an interesting filmmaker with one major flaw. He's a technical and visually driven director who puts a tremendous effort and attention to detail and image and has total command and control over it. Yet he has no sense of storytelling. Uh, He compares them to Gareth Edwards and Zack Snyder. Um, He says Blomkamp's approach to action and spectacle is very uniquely his own. It has his intention, clear point of view. It doesn't, just go for the flashy, overstimulating—you know amounts of visual noise. Uh, While his style feels influenced by video game cutscenes, it's done in a way that is dynamic and shows understanding of the cinematic medium. If you get a chance to check out any of the art of the movie book uh, of one of his films, you'll uh, see how deep and fledged his approach to the process is. So, uh... What do you guys say? Do you think Chris was overly dismissing Blomkamp here, or like, does he have a point here? I, I I don't think Blomkamp's a hack because I feel like usually in the terms of hack, like hack is is visually bland. It is you know appealing to the masses. It, it doesn't have it have its own style or like I feel like I can tell what a Blomkamp movie is. If you put a movie from Blomkamp that I have never seen in front of me, I'd be like, "Oh, this is Blompcamp. Uh but I do agree that he's not good. What what do you guys think?
0: Uh, I don't remember Chris calling him a hack specifically, but I do know that he was very down on him as a filmmaker <laughs> and even uh Hi Sam from Egypt says in this in this email, he sort of like hides the The thing in his own criticism here, he says uh, Blomkamp is an interesting filmmaker with one flaw. He has no sense of storytelling. Like the problem is you need to have a good sense of storytelling to be a good filmmaker. So, yes, I agree that his visuals are outstanding. And, you know, like he is to me much more uh, much better suited to stuff like. Video game cutscenes and you know brief commercials and maybe even just uh, crafting images, maybe just like still photography with like incredible visual effects in the background and world building and all that stuff. Just like creating evocative sets, but I I agree that he doesn't really have a great sense of storytelling, and that is a huge component of being a good filmmaker.
1: Brad, what, how do you fall in Neil Blomkamp? I mean, I'm pretty much in the in the same field. He, you
2: know, he does have a unique visual style and he does have this amazing attention to uh, technical details and, you know, really bringing stories to life with fantastic uh, visual effects. But, you know, it's, it's like High uh, Sam even says, you know, he doesn't have any knack for storytelling and doing it in an interesting uh, or compelling way. Uh, you know, I think Chappie is uh, a perfect example of that. Um, something where you know the the elements that created Chappie you know are well um, very well done and re- well executed and you know he he has some sense of how to make a a movie visually interesting but there's just something about the narrative that where he just can't you know make it connect with the audience and that's unfortunately that's a uh, not un- unfortunately but that's a big part of you know what makes a talented filmmaker and if he's missing that element then it's going to mess up anything else you know that he has that he's actually good at
1: I also think he has some good ideas in terms of like the concept and messaging of the film but then it seems like there's not a producer there or he doesn't have a confident or people around him to tell him how to keep it more subtle like I feel like in times at times it's like very like you know, hitting us over a hammer with it, where it like it would be better if it was more, I mean, even District 9, I don't think is that subtle, but I think it's more subtle than his other films. So um... anyways, okay, we have some responses to our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood spoiler discussion. If you have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, you can probably turn off the podcast right now. But we'll get to these emails. Both the emails wrote in in the last 24 hours. Uh, I hate. I, I don't want to like uh, seem like I'm reading emails that are uh, emailing in to support uh, my view and not uh, other people on this podcast. But these are just the two emails that we got in uh, on this film in the last 24 hours. So, um, uh, Gokul – is that how you pronounce his name? We we said I think this too so. fast. Gokul from. Auckland, New Zealand. He's written in before. Um, he wrote in in response to our spoiler discussion and how we were talking about. I I brought up the point that if people don't know about the Manson murderers, that the whole escalation of the this movie does not make any sense. That like you really do not know where this is headed, or you know the the climax does not. Have as much emotional pull, and uh, does back up my point here. He saw this, uh, by the way, these two people. uh, The reason why we're getting emails about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood now is it's finally hitting overseas, like there was a delay in the release dates. Um, so people are finally seeing it over there. Um, he says, "I I thought I would share my thoughts from a perspective of someone who brought who was brought up outside of the United States and who wasn't around when these events occurred. Personally, I think the movie actually requires you to do some homework and learn about Tate and the Mansons. My girlfriend and I both saw the movie together. And while I had some cursory knowledge of the events, my girlfriend was going in blind as this era in American history is not taught in New Zealand curriculum. Um, What that meant was the build up to the end and the anticipation of what was going to happen was kind of wasted on my girlfriend. I mean, she knew that something could happen to Rick and Cliff, but the added dread about what could happen to Sharon was simply missing for her. In fact, she couldn't understand what the point of Tate's role was in the film. To my girlfriend, it was it just seemed like the audience was falling around her seeing her day-to-day life for no reason and with no real payoff. This was probably compounded by the fact that Robbie did not have a lot of dialogue or even a seemingly arc compared to Dalton or Cliff. I would say that the sweetness and sensitivity felt towards Tate was mainly due to what the audience knows happens to her. And so the little moments of Tate took on added meaning. Since I have a vague idea of her story, her role made more sense to me And we also had an email from Phil who uh, wrote in. He's in Europe and kind of with the same uh, point of view as a non-U.S. viewer. I was not familiar with the Manson murders. Uh, He knew that Manson was a cult leader and a murderer, but not much more. Only if you're interested in serial killers and American cults, you know the details, he says. I tried to stay away from the spoilers, too. This resulted in me not getting why we followed this young starlet who actually never became relevant to the story as she was not involved in the final showdown. Furthermore, the intruder, who was supposed to be Charles Manson, didn't ring a bell, as I do not know what Charles Manson looked like when he was young. And there are killers whose motivation I do not get alone by watching this movie, although it is instantly obvious that they are dangerous. So, yeah it is a possibility that the audience doesn't know the context and it results in an unsatisfying viewing experience. The movie seems like shards connected through something I'm not familiar with. So uh, now that you've heard uh, these two uh, emails, Ben, I wanted to hear like, do you, do you still think that like this movie play like can work if you don't know?
0: Um, So I I think it it works. Uh, I do think that like if you don't know anything at all, I think that uh, it works on one level. But but even um, who's the first person that emailed in Uh, Gogol. he he even said once we saw the movie, my girlfriend and I both went home and read up on the Mansons and Tate and suddenly the movie took on a whole new meaning for us. And I think that is, you know, for, for something that's so hyper specific like this. I think that, yes, I guess this movie does require a little bit of homework. Uh, I came into it with a little bit of um, of knowledge beforehand. But if you don't, I think Tarantino is just, you know, this is such a hyper-specific movie. And it's it's Tarantino's fairy tale about this very, very specific time and place and event. And I think, you know, if you don't understand that, that event... Then yeah, you're you are gonna miss something, and the movie may not be or definitely will not be as um, impactful for you as it is uh, if you know that going in. But I do think you know functionally a lot of it still works. I think you might you know even if you you're expecting Sharon Tate to be involved in the final thing somehow and like just because she doesn't wander into the house while the murders are happening or whatever i still think she's involved in the climax of this movie because she was because she recognizes him well because the the film sets her up as the initial target and then uh rick dalton um you know alters the plans a little bit and they move next door to go to him and then she's there at the conclusion to sort of welcome him in with open arms so she is involved at the you know, Wait, at the end but of are movie. we even so, clear,
1: like in the movie, just in the context of the movie itself and not history? Are we even clear that she's the target?
0: Uh, well, th- that's the thing—is like she never was, um, like her specifically in in history and in this movie, as far as I remember, they never say like we are going out to kill Sharon Tate. They were trying to kill somebody else who they thought that house yeah. belonged to. Um, but I'm so, saying like
1: are like in the storytelling of this movie in how tarantino presents it like does someone that doesn't know the story even know that that's where they are headed uh
0: i think so yeah i think the i think that's the man it's been a while since (laughs) it's been several weeks since i've seen this movie now so i mean i I guess i can't answer that question definitively but um brad i'm interested what what do you think about these emails what do you think about how the film works or doesn't (laughs) or handles this without uh you know in, in in terms of history
2: uh, it's a good question, and I, I do mostly agree with what you're saying about how, that the film does work even if you don't understand it because there's plenty of times when there are in movies where we've seen two narratives that don't seem to be connected in any way but then end up coming together uh, in the end of the movie. And so I, I feel like the perspective of Margot Robbie's character not really have anything to do with, Uh, You know, in the movie, if you don't understand why Tarantino is showing us her her living her life uh, seemingly just on a normal day and not having anything consequential happen that really ties into the rest of the movie until the end isn't something that takes away from it. Because at the end of the day, we're still talking about a movie where the majority of it is about the relationship between uh, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters, which in itself isn't plot driven either, which is a you know a big piece of criticism from those who haven't really liked the movie much. So I, I think focusing on on that aspect really doesn't make much sense when the the, the rest of the movie itself kind of just me- meanders and lets you sit in 1969 Hollywood. And while it does move towards this very violent ending and this uh, fairy tale esque beginning for something that never was allowed to happen in real history. I don't think that you need to know that real history to enjoy the movie, but if you do know it, it does add a whole other level of appreciation and uh, satisfaction, probably.
1: I just feel like, and I've talked about this probably way at length in that spoiler discussion, but I I do think that if you don't know the climax that the story is building to, it becomes a little bit it probably becomes a little bit more unsatisfying along for that journey because it just seems like people hanging out with each other.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally see that. And I just think, you know, hopefully what's happening here is what (laughs) happened to Gokul, where people will go home and read up on it if they didn't know. And I think the other thing is like, I understand wanting to avoid spoilers for a movie that you're really looking forward to because I do that all the time as well. But like in all of the lead up to Tarantino making this movie, it was Tarantino's movie about the Manson murders. So like people had plenty of time to just familiarize themselves briefly, even just like a quick Wikipedia skim of the main events here to see what Tarantino is is possibly, you know, working
1: with um, So I'm, I think there was I'm enough... guessing people that want to stay spoiler free probably hear that. And they're like, oh, I don't want to know anymore.
0: Yeah, but if you don't know what the Manson uh, murders are at all, then then when the movie happens the way it does, you're not going to be like, "Huh, I don't, I didn't get that." Because you're going to know that you purposefully avoided, you know, getting the information that you needed to to uh, understand
1: the movie. So
2: I don't know. I guess but, there's one more point I that I wanted-
1: I would agree with you, Ben. If it wasn't for Quentin Tarantino even saying the movie wasn't about the Manson murders.
0: Uh, Right, but I think that speaks to more to what Brad was just talking about. Like the movie, you know,
1: specifically
0: is not like about them; it's about Rick and Cliff and these characters that inhabit this world. But um, I I, I was thinking a lot about this question, and I thought uh, it reminded me of um, when I was on the water cooler. I guess it was earlier this summer. I was talking about reading Ernest Hemingway's *The Sun Also Rises*, which is a book that didn't really land on me because I didn't understand the historical context in which it took place. But Jacob was telling me you know it's a book about the lost generation of world war 1 and the main character even though it's never explicitly stated in the book it's heavily implied that he lost his genitals due to the war and he has P- ptsd in an era before that was even named and hemingway himself had undiagnosed P- ptsd so there's all this like context that i didn't go into that experience with and so the the my initial read of the book left me a little bit unsatisfied and i can totally see how you know this movie People but, would go but, into this movie in the same way, but all you have to do is just look at it. You know, look up that stuff afterwards, and and like Gokul, you know, the movie takes on a whole new meaning for you once you familiarize yourself with the actual events. I,
1: I guess my question to you is like, whose responsibility is that to you know to relay that information? Like, it, should the storyteller set up that stuff so that you understand it and can fully enjoy it? you know without someone explaining it like do you know what I mean like i feel like this is not like undercurrent stuff like it's uh th- this is stuff that's needed to fully enjoy the story
0: Uh, Well, I guess that's where we disagree, because I I feel like you can enjoy the story uh, on several different levels, even if you don't understand this stuff. And it's just like uh, it's added bonus kind of material if you do. But I I think you and I are just on a different side of the fence there.
1: I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I knew where it was headed, so I had no problem with that. But I I've definitely talked to a fair share of people that did not get this movie and some people that even walked out of it. And it was like the first movie they've walked out of in, you know, decades. So I totally understand that as well. So um, anyways, okay, this brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all our work at Home.com. You can find links to the stories we talked about on today's podcast in the show notes. Uh, you can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your Feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at com, And please leave your name and general geographical location in case we mention the email on the air. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.